Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. My name is Laura Sassiri. I'm the founder of Supply Chain Insights, and I try to bring you a podcast for everyone that is trying to build better after the pandemic. And this is a series of podcasts on leadership. And it's designed for the teams that are thinking about the supply chain organization and what they need to do post-pandemic. Today, I'm interviewing Rick Davis, and I've known Rick for about 15 years. I first met him at Kellogg, and now he has his own business. And I've never met anyone more successful in influence management and navigating change in organizations. So Rick, welcome to the show. Tell people a little bit about yourself. Laura, thank you so much. Yes, I would be happy to. So my name is Rick Davis. I've uh, spent the majority of my career in, in CPG, food and beverage. Spent most of those years at the Kellogg Company. Uh, led a, a number of different functions. Met a lot of great people along the way, uh, including Laura Ciceri. And uh, as she said, we've been friends for a very long time. I now lead my own practice. I'm the founder and CEO of Demand Chain AI, uh, trying to bring companies solutions for the many issues and opportunities that they face. And I am very, very grateful to have the chance to visit with you today, Laura. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. Now, when I first met you, you were in sales for Kellogg and you actually managed demand groups. And tell me what you learned about supply chain leadership through that period when you think about supply chain leadership, what comes to mind and any stories you want to share? Yeah, thanks. And yes, I, I, I did. I led the sales operations group, which included at the time demand planning. And if you want to get to know supply chain leaders, all you have to do is lead demand planning and you'll get to know them pretty well. So it was uh, quite an interesting experience. Demand planning evolved multiple times through my career there at Kellogg and, and it moved around a bit. Finally evolving into, a, I think, a very solid uh, piece of the integrated business planning team. But back to supply chain leadership, what I learned is that, you know, there are, there are great leaders and there are those that probably don't deserve the title. I think back to the people I met, the people I worked with, and I did spend time in supply chain. I also led our DSD distribution logistics for a couple of years and, you know, focusing on safety, service, and costs and trying to get the orders delivered every single day. But the leaders that I met that really impressed me were the people who, you know, they had their finger on the pulse, but their eyes were on the horizon. And I think that that's so important because too many people in leadership positions, I think, get caught up in in the vernacular of the day. They they get caught up in the tactics. They get caught up in, in the trees and forget to see the forest. And when I think about the ones that I worked with, I really really admired, respected, and tried to emulate. A few, a few tendencies about them come to mind. Um, number one, they were, they were great listeners. You know, they, they, were, they were great listeners. They, they knew that everybody had a story and that there was always something to be learned from everyone that was a part of their organization. They were self-aware. Uh, they realized the, not just their strengths, but their shortcomings, and they would try to surround themselves with people who complimented them in those areas where they maybe weren't as strong. And, you know, I I think I have to say they were humble. You know, I think that they felt like, you know, that they were 
you know, leadership position and they were fortunate to be there and, and they wanted to the people that they worked with that were in their charge to, uh, you know, to appreciate the work that they were doing. And great leaders, I think they challenge internal barriers. Uh, they, they, they help run interference for the teams. They challenge the status quo. And as, as you have always said, and I've always admired you for saying, they're, they're willing to be outside in, you know, learn from outside, try something new. You know, if you fail, fail fast, but, but, but willing to try. And I think that the thing that is probably the most striking characteristic is I think great leaders have faith in their people, you know. So, you know, I think of a time we had a, we had a new manufacturing VP come in. I had all the planning functions and came into our organization from outside the organization. I had been trying to get our, our manufacturing team and, and distribution team to, to work with me to come up with a single source distribution model for some of our, one of our brands that had a tremendous number of, um, you know, of SKUs within this brand, you know, all, all basically the same shape and size with different flavors. And, you know, I had very little success. And after just a couple of meetings with this, this new leader that came in, you know, as my peer, and after just a couple of times talking with him, he said, you've got all the numbers. This sounds great. Let's go try it. And we did. And it worked. And, you know, it's, it's funny how you, you run into interference in your own organization. And, and as you try to influence change, sometimes you're more successful than you are at others. But it was a fantastic win for the organization and for me. And it, it really stemmed from somebody that is the epitome of outside. And he came in from the outside and was willing to try something new. You know, on the other hand, Laura, I, mean, I think I've, I think I've, I've seen some people who, you know, have the have the title of leaders that, you know, probably didn't deserve it. They may have been in a position of authority, but there's a great difference in being in a position of authority and being a leader. Um, you know, and, and these people are people that always thought they could apply the old model, new problems. You know, it worked five years ago. We're going to try it now, and they have all the answers. Uh, and and different than having faith in their people, these people are typically they they run to to this belief that the people are the problem, and you know I seldom found that to be the case. And all the challenges and, and trials and tribulations that I experienced through my career at Kellogg, I, I seldom found that the people were the problem. Typically, it was because you know leadership hadn't listened and hadn't put people in a in a position to be successful for whatever reason. So there's a lot of lessons that you learn when you go through. Uh, you know, go through a full career at a company that spent 28 years there. You know, you learn a lot of lessons. You see a lot of people. You see people that you want to be more like, and you see people that um, maybe you learn from that that's not necessarily the way you want to be. So hope that answers your question, but it, it absolutely I had a lot of chances to, to to see a lot of different styles. I know that's so true. So let me just go through some of those characteristics. Good listener. They don't believe they have the answers, but they believe in their people. They have their finger on the pulse and they're willing to work with others. Did I miss anything? Uh, just, uh, the, just, you know, the finger on the pulse, but eyes on the horizon. Seeing the big picture, having a strategy, having a vision. So, yeah, I mean, you, you summed it up pretty well because I think it's, it takes all of those to be a great leader. That's my opinion. And what I see in the market, which I think is very detrimental, are pretty big egos, think they know the answer. 
believe that the people are the problem. They hire consultants to basically reinforce that the people are the problem. They go through, you know, turnover because, you know, they're chasing their vision and a lot of turnover in the market without really holding people accountable. And I find that so disruptive and hurtful. It is, and it's the best way in the world to, you know, to uh, diminish the culture. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things that I experienced at Kellogg is we we had a, a declining culture over a period of time. I think that, you know, they've, they've got some people at the helm that are really trying to bring that back. But, you know, if people aren't the problem, but they're led to believe that they are, how motivating is that? And it, it's not a recipe for success. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't make for a sustainable model, in my opinion. Um, and, I, and as a consultant, it's funny because I did experience a, a lot of interactions with consultants in my time. But now as, a, as an independent consultant, someone who approaches it differently, it's funny that even when I go talk to companies, quite often they'll say, well, we, you know, we need you to do an assessment around a business process. Let's say integrated business planning. And they always, you know, want to bring forth what's, you know, like we've got to, we got to understand if we've got, if we've got the right people doing this. You know, so when you do the assessment, let's look at, you know, the data, of course, and the people, and the process, and technologies. But I seldom find when I do assessments that the people are the problem. They may have not been trained appropriately. They may haven't been invested in the way they need to be. may not have the support that they need. They may be asking to do things that are far too manual, things that are far more manual than they should be in the world that we live in today. But very, very seldom find that the people are the problem. So... I think it's very interesting. <laughs> I often find misaligned incentives as the culprit uh, or the lack of clarity around what is what good looks like or definition of supply chain excellence. But I tell you, Kellogg was like a swinging door that you had consultant after consultant, turnover versus turnover. Yet you had a career of 28 years with Kellogg. Did I hear that right? That is correct. Yep. I was eligible to retire three years earlier than I did, but I stuck it out for three more years. I was there for 28 years and a lot of really great years. I mean, I, I, I was very fortunate. I got to do a lot of different things. So you are probably the person when I think about the best at influence management. And I just want to talk a little bit about influence management that I have observed in my travels. And influence management, I think, is working with peers and building guiding coalitions to be able to influence the organization. And the influence is greater on pressuring the organization to move forward than a person would naturally have just from position. So when I think about Rick Davis, I think about the consummate influence manager. How do you feel about that description? I don't think I've ever been called that before. Uh, I try to influence my wife frequently, but I, I usually fail. So this is, <laughs> <laughs> this is new news for me. But uh, uh, I appreciate that, though. As I think about it, reflect on what you just said. I mean, it, you know, I think that's how you navigate a career of, of you know, that long a tenure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I like that. I haven't thought of myself as that, but I, I kind of like that. I might, might quote you on that someday. Yeah, well, no problem. But as people that are new to supply chain or people that are dealing with supply chain folks, 
how should they think about building influence in the right way? And, you know, to move the organization forward, what did you learn in that process that allows you to have a tenure of 28 years in a really turbulent company? Yeah. And, you know, we had, we had good years and some that weren't as good. Um, but, uh, you know, I was thinking, thinking back, as we said, we were going to talk about this. And in, in my 28 years, I had 20 different job titles. And sometimes the job was very similar, but they changed the title. But most of the time, it was actually a different job. Um, as I said, I got to do a lot of different things. So, you know, I, I think you have to, to navigate, you know, change uh, within an organization. You have to be willing to be somewhat flexible and understand that, kind of like I mentioned about leaders, you know, don't just see the role you're in, but see how the role fits within the broader organization. Understand where the organization is headed understand the roles are going to be important when it gets there and, and the roles are going to be important in helping it transform as it tries to get there. And it's funny when you talk about change and you say, okay, well, how, how did you navigate with all this change? And, and now people are talking about, you know, change and uh, post COVID and what's the new normal going to be. And, and, and I agree that right now these are unusual times for us, but from the first week that I got my job at Kellogg, change was a constant. I mean, the magnitude of the change may have been different, but at the moment, the changes we were facing, whether it be a restructuring or an acquisition or divestiture or a change in the technologies we were going to embrace, at the moment, it seemed huge. And I can always recall hearing a term from this, during my entire 20 years that, oh, we're going to be living in constant change and this is the new normal and you know, you were going to have to learn how to manage change. And because you think about, you know, the impact of technology and the growth of major retail and all the consumer trend changes, breakthroughs in science. I mean, this isn't new. And, and I think that you have to embrace it if you want to be able to influence, you know, the organization management and understand that, that this isn't, you know, this isn't necessarily a problem. It could very well be an opportunity and there were years we would go through three restructurings on a people basis in a year, probably because we were in one of those years where things weren't going so well and, and people were getting the blame. But, um, you know, what I always try to do to, I guess, to, to navigate through that and to, to feel like, uh, make the organization feel like I was, you know, relevant, uh, because I think that, you know, you have to be, you have to be seen as well. And as, you know, I learned from you. I always try to look outside, try to never stop learning, bring something to the table every time you're in a meeting. Right? When you're, when you're with senior leaders, you know, when I was more junior, more junior in my career. And then, you know, as I was at the table, senior leadership as a peers, uh, as peers, you know, later in my career, it was just important to bring something to the table, you know, bring a, bring a solution instead of a problem. Anybody, Anybody can, can, can bring problems and talk about what's wrong, but it's kind of refreshing when, you know, somebody, you know, actually brings something besides just a problem. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, there are people in the organization that you will recognize as you go along your career. If you're, if you're a student and if you pay attention, that always love to yell fire, right? There's always a fire burning. So that's the biggest thing, and it, it, gets, the, it gets attention for them, right? That, oh, there's a fire. But I always really respected the people that just, you know, bring some water 
it's more about the people that can bring a solution to the table problem. And I think that I always tried to do that. And if you want to navigate through an organization as, you know, as disruptive as times may be, I think it's important to, to be self-aware and to reflect and actually, you know, remind yourself that you probably don't have all the answers, but you should always try to bring something to the table. I don't know if that hits home for you or not, but that's, I think that that's what I tried to do to, to influence people in the organization and not only do the things I think we needed to do because, you know, I was looking outside and seeing what was going on in the world, but also making certain that, you know, when we were at the table and I had a chance to, you know, to make a difference that I always had, had a solution in my pocket, uh, an opportunity. It may not all work, but kind of the way I try to approach it. And I try to do that for my clients today. Well, you're far more self-aware than I am, Rick. I, you know, I, as I observed you in the Kellogg organization, I think you built a lot of respect by being relevant and really good at your job. But I also think you were pretty patient uh, in how you managed discussions and the people that were always firefighting and asking everybody to be a Dalmatian and run for the fire. Uh, I think you had a very patient style that uh, engendered a lot of respect. And I also think that you came to the table with good answers, right? You know, you, you knew the business, you were constantly data-driven and, you know, bringing data to the table. And I think you also built groups of people around you who believed in the answer that you were bringing to the table. So it wasn't just Rick. Well, uh, thank you, Laura. I appreciate that. That's, that's probably the the thing that I, I'm the most proud of is the people that I was able to help and support and then the people that respected me for what I did bring to the table. You know, I, I, I'm an introvert by nature, so it was always a little bit hard for me. I wasn't going to be the loudest voice in the room. And so maybe patience was how I, you know, how I um, overcome that to some degree. But, you know, I, I wasn't real big on gatherings and networking. I knew it was important, so so I did it. And, and I probably tended to have a, a smaller circle around me that I kept very close. But the other side of that was uh, my door was always open to anyone that, that wanted time with me. I have a very different philosophy about leadership than, than some people, I think. I, I, I don't believe that, you know, the title leader is, awarded to someone by the people above them in the organization. I actually think that the title leader is a title that's awarded to you by the people in your charge. And I always tried to, to live that. And, you know, I think that that's another thing as far as influencing management. I think that, I think you can see that. And I think senior leadership can see that, that if you're, if you're striving to really be that kind of leader and your people are behind you and, they walk through fire for you and they'll do anything they can to deliver against the objectives that, you know, that the team has. That's one great way to influence management, right? That you're doing it right. You know, Laura, I'll tell you a story. I uh, talked about, you know, people in, in the organization that had the for great fortune to to work with and, and, and to lead. I used to make sure when I walked the office floor at the end of the day that, you know, before I left, and, and I tried to be, if not the last person that left, very close to it. But 
I used to make sure I'd, I'd walk the floor and the office to our left, and I would go around through the floor. We had about 150 people in, in my team at that time, you know, over several different key business processes. And, you know, there was a period of time that every day for, for three or four days, pretty much everybody was gone except this one lady was always sitting at her desk. She was always in front of her computer, you know, 6 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock at night, whatever it was, whatever time I left, she was sitting there. And she'd been doing this every day for a few days. So I stopped one day and asked her, I said, why are you still here? And she looked up at me, shocked, because candidly, I don't think leaders walk around and understand what their people are doing enough. But she looked up at me, kind of startled, and she just started crying. Just tears just running down her face, sobbing, put her head on her desk. So I sat down in her cubicle and sat there for a minute and let her gather herself. And she looked up and she looked at me and there was big old tears in her eyes. And she said, I just can't get it all done. So, you know, if I hadn't been walking around or trying to pay attention, I wouldn't have noticed that. But, you know, I got with her manager the next day and said, we've got a problem. There's obviously, you know, an imbalance of work or, you know, the tasks she's been assigned are definitely, you know, far more demanding than, than what we planned or expected. So, you know, by the next day, we had her some help, shuffled some things around. We got a head count. We got her some help, and she was able to go home and be with her family in the evenings. And she still to this day, you know, she's retired now. She's still to this day. She she sends me a happy birthday note, you know, every year on my birthday. And she reaches out once in a while, and it just, you know, it, it, she's never forgotten it. And, you know, if you can have that kind of effect on people, I think that's leadership. Well, I I think so. But I think, Rick, you were effective not only managing the group that you worked with, which I think I did far better managing the group than I did managing Upward. Um, You were extremely patient with the organizational changes and the leaders brought in from outside. I mean, because at one point in time, Kellogg was like, you know, a revolving door of consultants and leaders from the outside that had supposedly the best answers. I think you had a rare combination of being patient with all that change. And how did you manage yourself? Well, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think to be effective, you obviously have to manage, you know, up as, as well as, as across your organization. But I think you, you do that through consistency and maybe patience is, is part of it too, Laura, you know, uh, if you're if you're bringing results and and you're you're being candid and transparent, you know, don't sugarcoat things. I was never one to, to sugarcoat. I, I you know I, I called them like they were, and I candidly, you know, I'm doing consulting work now independently. But there were times when I challenged the organization's desire to bring a consultant in for certain things because I didn't I didn't think it was necessary. Sometimes it is, but but sometimes it's not, and it becomes a crutch. Or for senior leadership, sometimes I think. But you know, if you're bringing consistency and you're bringing passion and you're bringing ideas, and as I said earlier, if you're bringing solutions instead of problems, uh, I think that senior leaders, you know, they they look at you and and they know what they're going to get. Right? I, I, this is it doesn't doesn't matter who it is. You know, you build the relationships there. You let them know that you're there if you know if they need you, and you're very transparent. And you you uh, you call it like it is. And for me, it worked for me. I had, you know, I was very blessed to be able to, to work for a lot of different people, a lot of different roles, um, lead, you know, 
several thousand people through my career. And for me, it worked. I mean, <laughs> there's always going to be one or two nemesis you have as, <laughs> as you go through a career like that, that you just never figure out how to, you know, how to, to get along best. But, um, you know, but, you know, you take that as they are, you, you, you win, you, you win the ones that are the most important. And, you know, I think that you stand to be a, you be a voice of reason and kind of a sea of confusion sometimes. So for me, it worked. And I think that at least if you try to follow those characteristics that we talked about early in the conversation and try to adopt those and see how you might fit into a spectrum where those qualities are, are qualities that you can focus on and try to embellish, then I think it, it helps you managing up and down. So let me see if I can just summarize. One, I think you're really good at relationships up and down. Uh, two, I think that you were good at your job and you brought answers and didn't chase fires. Uh, three, I think that you were very data driven, right? You know, and bringing those answers and you built, you know, a reputation of being reliable and contributing. And I think that you were seen as a person that could build teams and drive results and that gained respect from the group. Did I miss anything about how people should think about influence management? Because I really like all of the people that are building careers to think hard about these because these are really, I think, important core principles. I think the only other one that, you know, that I would add is, is just that never stop learning. Um, and you know what? And, and you have probably had as much influence on me continuing continuing that journey. I mean, I, I just finished some courses at Northwestern University. Um, never stop learning. Um, and, 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 and it's a really, it's a really key ingredient, I think, but yeah, I, I concur. And I, I thought your summary was, was spot on. So, so thank you for that. But you know, I had a great career and, and now I'm in my second career and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And, you know, I love mentoring young people. I just worked for a client where they asked me to mentor as an outside consultant, mentor a couple of their new employees. And I was so very honored to be asked to do that. Well, Rick, any last thoughts before we close the show today? Laura, you know, we've talked about a lot. I just, uh, for anyone starting a career, I, I would, I would tell them to, you know, not stop learning, to, to listen to, uh, to people like you who are so good at influencing the industry, not just within an organization, you know, try to, you know, try to look at that horizon and see where you want to be and what kind of person you want to be. And, and, and to be candid, you may not be the best fit for the organization you're in. So, you know, just be self-aware and understand that, you know, sometimes, you know, organizations have very different cultures. At the end of the day, you need to be, you need to be happy. And I think to be successful, you need to be happy and you need to be passionate about it. So if you're, feeling that knot in your stomach that just doesn't feel good to you when you get to work or, you know, at the end of the day when you go home or get off of your team's calls or your Zoom calls in this world, then spend some time reflecting and saying, hey, what do I, what, what do I really want to do and what, who do I really want to be? Because there, there might be answers that you just haven't thought about yet. That's the thing I think I would leave with. I encourage people to go to their nearby coffee shop and write down what they like about work and what they don't like about work and use that as a constant barometer to be self-aware and try to focus on 
how they can create more of what they like and less of what they don't like. And if they can't do that, then maybe it's time for a new job because jobs like marriage, not all jobs work and sometimes company cultures change, so it's not a good fit. Absolutely right. Well, Rick, I loved having you on the show today. You've been a great supply chain leader and I encourage others to listen to the rest of this podcast series where I'll be interviewing probably 40 to 50 supply chain leaders. And what I hope people can get from this are lessons in leadership to help them in their careers. Because if we're going to build better out of the pandemic, I think it starts with people. It starts with each of us asking ourselves the core questions of what did we learn in the pandemic? How do we build better? And how can I redesign the supply chain for better outcomes? And Rick will be at the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit in Franklin, Tennessee on September 7th through 9th. And if you're not aware, that is right below Nashville. So you fly into Nashville. We're having a COVID-friendly event of about 100 people in the room. Everyone will have their vaccinations and will have their masks. And we'll have probably 500 people online in a facilitated discussion by some professional facilitators. And again, this conference is where I handpick all the speakers. I bring some bespoke research and we really talk about the supply chain of the future. This year, we're gonna focus on 2030. So Rick, I appreciate your support and anything you would tell the audience about the conference? The conference has been awesome. I think I've been at every one. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. There's always some fantastic speakers. Um, The networking is great. I'm prepared to learn because I've never left one of Laura's conferences where I didn't learn several things. So it's a great conference. I'll be there, no doubt. Okay. Until next time, I hope you listen to the rest of the series. Until then. Mm -hmm.